everybody, this is Back in Tunes Anime Blast, where violence is not the solution to problems, no. unless you're a total badass. <laughs> I'm your hero of the day, John, and with me is... Johnny Funami. Before we get things rolling, I do kind of want to talk about a little bit of a thing from our last show. Since we recorded last, and even once this thing drops, it might become old news, but we'll see. There's been a little bit of controversy surrounding the Netflix release of Evangelion. It's got a new dub, which I don't like. There's a new translation, especially in the subtitles, and that is definitely a point of contention, especially for me. I was talking to Johnny off, off mic, and you, you, didn't, you didn't listen to that part of it, did you? Did you see that part? No. Oh, yes, I did. I did, actually. I went back and I watched that, the specific scene. Uh, it was actually someone talking about what you were talking about, so it was, it was not the actual episode, but it was a video talking about that. It was interesting. I mean, and, and you know, they were they were basically talking about you know the scene where he speaks to the um, to Shinji and holds his hand. Yeah, there's there's a there's a bit at the end of the near the end of the show where uh, Shinji ends up meeting the final child, or according to the dub, they're now you know the children. So it's the third children. Here, how the hell do you pluralize a singular noun? You can't do it. They're either a third child. Or they are children, but you can't right. be the third children. Anyway, uh, but he's talking to the final, the final child, the, the fifth child, who's a guy named uh, Kaoru. And now I bring certain things to uh, to anything that I watch. You bring certain things wherever you watch. So there is, to me at least, definitely homoerotic undertones to to the sequence and. Mm-hmm. If you really want to read it as a gay ship, you know, you're bringing what you bring. But I never read it as such, other than Shiji being this affection-starved person. And here's this dude who kind of comes in, and literally they've only known each other for, what, a day? Maybe two? And he's a nice, cool dude who, in the original uh, translation, ends up saying that he loves Shinji. And this particular character ends up being the final angel. So he's a divine being. Right. I, I said I wasn't going to spoil anything, but fuck it. <laughs> uh, he's, yeah, he's the final angel. He's a divine being. And humans, we start, as we start to learn over the course of this, are the descendants of Lilith. So technically, humanity are demons. So right. when he's talking about that he loves Shinji, it's, I always kind of read it as a divine love. He sees this being, this this person who's in need of love and affection, and again, this is a this is also a, a person who he's not not fighting over. I'm human. I'm divine. It's no. I'm I'm the last angel. I know this stuff. I have a mission to do. But he comes across Shinji, and he you know sees this kind of pitiful being, and you know it's like you you're worthy of my grace. You're not you're not worthless. You know you deserve love. Right. That's that's how I took it. Yeah, and it's it's fine if. If you want to read it as such, there's definitely a lot of gay coding in anime. Sure. Uh, I never read that as as that particular sort of, in that sort of level. But in this new translation, they changed love to life, which really undermines everything about it because you change that word and just, yeah. I like you. It's like, you know, I say like to everything. I'm from California. <laughs> like, like like is a, dude. to me, exactly. <laughs> like is kind of a meaningless word to me at this point. And like also, again, love makes sense. Like is just kind of, yeah, I like things. 
Yeah. And so events, you know, events of the episode unfold, and then you get to the end of the thing, and he's talking about how sad about everything that has happened, and you know, he's like, he was the only person who ever said that he loved me, which makes sense because his father's an asshole who doesn't have any love in his heart for his own son but uh, this rando this uh, divine being bestowed love upon him which and again once we you know the show's about depression it's about all sorts of these things that culminates in those last two episodes whether you like them or not uh, of Shinji self-realizing but you need to have him have this love yeah, and I think um, um, there's a couple of different ways, you know, to look at this. And it's hard. It's, and being 2019, it's a sensitive subject. You know, it's like it's you almost like you feel like you have to tiptoe around things like this. But I think we don't need to say this, but I'll say this: you and I have no problem with gay undertones or overtones or whatever it is. That's people are people, and that's what it is. But in the context of the story, making a change like that. Uh, it does a couple things. It does what we're talking about, how it affects and changes the actual impact to the character and what it means. And then for people who are sensitive to, you know, homoerotic stuff, uh, it's, it's almost like it changed it to accommodate them. And, and that can be offensive to people uh, who are, you know, gay or, you know, a lesbian, whatever. And so it, I can see what's going on here. And it's, it's, it's just a hot mess. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is it's, I get, you know, and that's that's the thing that definitely hurts a lot of people is like you feel like, oh, this character is a gay, you know, is is a representation of LGBT characters. Why are you now removing this? Right. The even sadder thing about that is, as messed up as changing that word is, it also makes turns Shinji into a far more pathetically sad character. <laughs> because he's instead of lamenting that so the first time that he's been told that he's loved it's now the first time that someone has uh, said that they liked him. And that yeah. is messed up. I mean, he has friends. He knows that he's liked, at least. So, right. loved, on the other hand, again, you you need that word that specifically makes sense. Exactly. But let me also just bitch about the dub for for one more second. But that that was the main the main thing is is that change. There's other stuff. I haven't watched the entire the entire show. I kind of read about the controversy and kind of cherry picked what I wanted to see based on that. But uh, the new dub is not good. So if you're gonna watch it, and I still strongly urge anyone to check it out, watch it subtitled because the humor doesn't work in the new dub. Like. I get, I get that the uh, the original ATV dub was kind of hammed up a little bit, but the humor in this really doesn't work in English now, especially in the beginning bits where uh, Misato's uh, got all the stolen batteries and stuff, and you know she's lamenting about how you know my car is ruined, my dress is destroyed. In Japanese, it's funny. In the original dub, it's funny. Here, it's just kind of flat. And no one in the dub knows how to say nerve. They keep they say it like four or five different ways. A couple people say nerve. Some people say nerve. I've heard I heard one person say nev. It's really not the voice. Whoever's voice directing this couldn't keep it straight. That's why I love I love sub. Yeah, it, there's if you want an argument in the dub and sub wars from the uh, from the olden days, this was basically it. Yeah, people can actually pronounce shit in Japanese. They can't seem to pronounce shit in English. Yeah. <laughs> and while oh, man. 
And and lastly, I guess for me, while it's not the the worst change in the world, it is striking. Uh, one thing we didn't mention was that the ending theme for Evangelion were uh, it's a cover of "Fly Me to the Moon." And over the course of the series, all the voice actors. Uh, in the Japanese version anyway do a version of that song and it's kind of a shame that in the US market they did, Netflix did not want to pay for the royalties for that oh sure apparently they did for the international release and they were willing to spring for a new dub and translation but really not fly me to the moon that's a that's a big deal yeah it it closes out now with just what like one of the little piano uh, bits from the show and I mean it's a beautiful piece but one doesn't fit the animation and two it just feels wrong but they didn't fuck with the uh, Cruel Angels thesis opening theme so I, I'm so happy with that it's the greatest opening ever hell yeah you see that meme that I posted where you have the beginning of Cruel Angels thesis <laughs> and it's a choiral uh, picture and then it's like once the song starts, Jesus break dancing in the temple. Exactly. <laughs> that's. <laughs> but that's. But that is not why we're actually here today. I just. I felt like I no, probably should bring we are that. Not. Up. Yeah, as I said before. You know what we're here for? We are here for guns, action, and lots of boobs. Oh yeah, lots of nudity and violence and blood splurts <laughs> and everything oh god we saw we it, were watching crying freeman slow mo deaths <laughs> yeah crying freeman and uh, gogo 13 the professional oh man oh yeah two shows that i never actually had seen before i had heard of and especially okay uh crying freeman the first time i had ever heard of this was basically from and i swear to god i went looking for this and i can't find it I'm pretty sure it was the promo uh, reel for uh, manga videos uh, stuff. I swear to God it's in that, but it might have been on the tape for Akira. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I didn't find it. But I could have sworn it was a promo reel for manga video. Because it was where I heard it came up for the first time, too. Yeah, well, I don't remember the yeah, same thing for me hearing KMFDM uh, on that, that reel. I know which one you're speaking of. I do not believe that Crying Freeman was, was published by Manga. I believe it was done by another another company, and I've been trying to find out well, who that was. Well, it was released, at least in the UK, by Manga Video. I know that much. That, oh, and that's why yeah. that's why I was kind of leaning towards that. But, yeah, it's, I don't remember who actually released it, and so I was sitting there kind of searching the internet, seeing if I could find that promo video, and I can't. But that's it was in a promo video. I that shot of Freeman jumping from the sub, and he got the you know his full body tattoo and the little speedo and the knife and all that. <laughs> I you know I that that was burned into my mind. I, so once that yeah, happened, I, I knew exactly what that you know. <laughs> like I remember that specific. Crying Freeman for me, the first time I ever saw. I never saw it until we watched it recently, and. Uh, but I always remember it, and when I'd walk into local video store, there it was on a, as a videotape. And I remember the cover. You know, he had like the knife in his mouth, and he was standing there with a girl. I think there was a couple of different covers around, but I just remember seeing it all the time, and, and it was very alluring. I was like, "Oh, what is, this looks kind of cool." 
And then at the time, I was not into anything that wasn't uh, of the fantastic or fantasy. So when I realized it was just kind of like a crime thriller kind of thing, I was like, ah, you know, I'll move on. Oh, Bubblegum Crisis. That's then I switched over. But it's it definitely made a mark on me, and I always remembered it. So when we decided to you know talk about it this time, I was very very excited to watch it, and I was not disappointed. Let's just tell you that I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, and that was my that was my entire thing with it too. Was I'd seen it at this uh, video store that I used to frequent, a uh, place called uh, West Coast Fantasy. Do- doesn't exist anymore, but it was a hell of a comic book shop, and they rented anime, and they had that on there. But at like you, mm-hmm. I was a little more into fantastical and sci-fi and stuff like that. So here's this crime. You know, I knew it was a crime thing, but I'm like, eh, whatever, dude. You know, yakuza dudes fighting yakuza. Nah, eh, that's not exactly what it was, but still, close enough. I had the opportunity to rent it a few times, and just it never, it never struck me. I kind of feel bad about that now because this yeah. was really freaking good. But it, it was good. Is it, it, it let the best way I could describe it is this was like watching a a really bad 80s action movie, but it's so bad that you love it. And and I'm talking like, it was like, uh, you know, like like American Ninja bad, but it was great, you know? (laughs) And, well, and that's that's just it. There is, well, there's a couple of film versions of this, uh, of Crying Freeman, one of which is actually uh, being uh, covered on one of our sister shows, Video Night. It's gonna be part of a uh, tribute to Mark Dacascos, so they're they're watching this, uh, which ironically I didn't realize this until I looked up the uh, plot summary of the film version of Crying Freeman. We basically watched what they watched, because the film version oh, okay. is an adaptation of this particular uh, OAV. Which uh, what? It, okay, let me. Uh, Crying Freeman originally started as a manga series. Uh, it was written by uh, Kazuo uh, Koike and illustrated by Ruichi uh, Ikegami, and it ran from 86 mm-hmm. to 88. Uh, it was adapted into these OAVs, one of which that we saw. Uh, it was uh, There were six episodes basically released about once a year from 88 to 94. And right. the first one, which we watched, was called Portrait of a Killer. Yes, which, well, it, I mean, just the opening scene was really, it pulled you in. You know, it just didn't waste any time. It got right to the meat and potatoes of like, hey, we're setting up the plot right here in the first <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah, and you're like, wow. Yeah, because it's just like, I'm, you know, I witnessed a killing. I'm probably going to be killed next. And and then yeah, we see this it, killing. It, it just sucked me in. Yeah. And it and it just had it. It still to this day, I think, has a uniqueness to it. It's it's an original kind of story. Uh, the character himself I just, I really like it. Like, I, I'm actually really wanting to see the, the live-action version. Uh, hopefully not disappointed, you know, based on the, the anime. But as far as the character goes and the who he is and how he became who he is, it's very original to me. I haven't seen anything like it. Yeah, because, I mean... It's, it's awesome. That Yeah, because that is such an interesting concept where you have this dude who essentially gets kidnapped by the Chinese mafia... He's brainwashed, yeah. tortured, and uh, turned into this assassin. And but it's where the crying Freeman part comes in. Why his codename is this is every time he kills a you know kills one of his targets, he's kind of uh, put you know re- he kind of slightly returns to his original self, and he's basically kind of crying over well two things: one that he's murdered a dude, 
and two, he's hoping that this is the last his last target so that he's allowed to be free. So he's the crying right. freeman. And, and what's what's more <laughs> fucked up is that that is actually programmed into him <laughs> to do that, you know? And that's what's really really bad. And then are we going to talk spoilers here? Can we talk about it, or yeah, let's, let's go ahead and let them watch themselves. Well, I definitely say watch it, but uh, yeah, pause the video. Oh, pause the video. Yeah, we're a video now. Uh, pause yeah, the podcast. And come, <laughs> come back, and yeah, we'll we can, we'll spoil the hell out of this. Hell yeah! Because basically, this guy is you know brainwashed into being a killer uh, through acupuncture. And, and the way that it's done is just really cool, but but it's it's done in such a, a vengeful way, you know. The uh, what was it? The father dragon, uh, that guy. You know, he's telling him what he's gonna do, and he, you know, telling him he's gonna be this killer. All while he's got these needles stuck into his cerebellum, telling him, and every time you kill someone, you're gonna you're gonna cry, and we're gonna call you crying Freeman because you always want to be free, but you can't. It's really messed up. Well, it's not even that. It's. It, this is a trope in a lot of things, but let's, you know, we do have, in the over the course of this one, we have the unkillable uh, killer. And it's not, I'm not talking about Crying Freeman, I'm talking about that Yakuza dude who, he's <laughs> yeah. he's like an enforcer, because one, one of the uh, missions for, for Freeman is he's, uh, the Chinese mafia is trying to get into uh, into Japan by, uh, you know, any means necessary, and, they're, you know, they're currently selling drugs, and they're going to right. assassinate this one Yakuza boss to make more headroom into into Japan. So this guy goes to the cops, like, you gotta protect me. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of dirt on things, but the Chinese are worse than us, so... We need you need to protect us. You need to protect, protect me specifically. Yep. And obviously that doesn't go good because why would we care if our assassin Freeman couldn't uh, kill a single target? So he kills this dude pretty much with ease, and this is all uh, kind of tied to this woman that he loves. He sees this in you know, the first his first assassin. He sees this woman. He actually introduces himself, which leads to the uh, I witnessed an assassination. I'm going to be the next target. Sort of uh, intro to this show. And yeah, he knows that he's going to have to kill her, but he also falls in love with her. The night that he's supposed to kill her, he instead has sex with her because she's a virgin, doesn't want to die a virgin. And the uh, yakuza starts swarming this place that she's living in, and he kills everybody pretty damn quick. But one of them just seems to be fine. Like, this guy's really tough, he en- still ends up getting killed, then his body disappears. Because, again, he's unkillable. Until he gets, like, a grenade stuffed in his mouth or something. No, no, that was in Gogo 13. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a different one. Yeah, I think he just gets we'll get his head that. cut off. Something like that. But it's like, but it's like <laughs> this dude survives, you know, survives Freeman, and then goes out like a chump. Like, right afterwards. You sit there and like, oh, come on. Really? This guy who got stabbed, uh, shot and stabbed, if I remember right, still, you know, still manages to limp away fine. I thought he was yeah. dead the first time. Yeah, that's just it. He totally got killed. He was dead. And they decided... He did. And they he decided to make him alive again just so they could kill him a second time. But then, but that also ties into... Let's, let's make this note. Yeah, this is not, uh... I wouldn't say this is like Oscar-worthy material. This is total cheese action movie stuff, but done so well. Yeah, it's... I love it. Well, and this thing, there's a very interesting thing about the dub that we watch, too. Am I crazy, or any time where it goes into the subtitle things, where the very obviously in the Japanese version, it's quote-unquote English people talking, 
and so they're subtitling the English. Is it just me, or did it actually, to you, sound like it reverted to the original dub? Because there are moments that Freeman is talking, and he doesn't sound like the guy who spoke like five minutes before. All of a sudden, it's a totally I different dude talking. Yeah, so there, it's... There, was, there, there were moments in the middle of someone speaking, like they're saying something, and then all of a sudden, another voice kicks in to finish the actual sentence, like mid-sentence. It, it definitely yeah, was weird. that's, again, I, I don't like to harp on old dubbing. Because I grew up, you know, when when I started watching this stuff, I this is the, well, this is a little bit before that, but still, this is the era of dubbing that I know, and yeah, <laughs> some of this stuff is really bad. <laughs> it, but I just, it, this thing was just full, it just surprised me, it was full of odd little characters, you know, the, the mafia, the, which are called the 108 Dragons, very cool name, uh, you know, that just... Uh, the leaders of those, the mother dragon, she's hilarious, you know, which is basically, in a sense, she's the father dragon. I, I think I said grandfather dragon. I didn't mean to say that. But the father dragon, basically, he's the one who kind of does the hypnotizing stuff. And then it's, you know, followed by the mother dragon doing the training and the further hypnotizing by beating your ass. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I love the characters. You know, and then the kind of season. You also have the sister who, uh, who, yeah, her, yeah. her whole thing where the my our unkillable assassin gets killed, and her sis, it, her sister, his sister decides to uh, take revenge, and he, she like blackmails this cop. That was <laughs> incredibly fucked up. <laughs> yeah, Part, I know. Partially because yeah, she didn't have to do it. That's great stuff right there. And, and then she spends the rest of the show. I know, and then she spends the rest of the show wearing wearing a gun gun holster with no shirt on. Yeah, it's she, awesome. Yeah, she has like uh, where, Cry- where Freeman has like this dragon tattoo. She has like this tiger tattoo. I think it's pretty badass. And uh, yeah, she's basically just topless the entire time after that. And it's yeah, it, this is well both of these, but this especially definitely is not for kids. Oh no, no, not at all. Yeah, I can't remember. If she, I think. Well, the tiger tattoo was. Or they're, on they're gonna put that, yeah. Or they're gonna put that emu. in emu, but it's. Yeah, the the other girl had like some goddess or something. I think on her back or not. She had something. Yeah, it was. it was it was it was cool looking. I I remember liking it, but I can't remember what the hell it was now, and I don't have a note on it, so I feel I yeah. feel stupid now trying to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's five more after this. The next. Two feature uh, Freeman and Emu getting married and having having to deal with some other stuff. Essentially, over the course of this series, Freeman basically ends up taking over the 108 Dragons, and so yep. it's yep. and Emu seems to kind of fall back a little bit because I was reading some of the synopsis of some of these, but it kind of feels like she ends up learning some of the most badass techniques. So she ends up because in this one she's just the damsel in distress, basically. I mean, she right. does. She does uh, take she... part in the uh, in killing a shit ton of people, which is uh, you know like pretty pretty cool because you like I'm you know being innocent, demure, and then poisoning the shit out of uh, what like five or six people. Well, I do know in the later in I, I think it's the second or third she gets this uh, cursed katana that she learns how to use. Yeah, it's something like that. But yeah, it's they end up becoming more and more badass characters. Well, Freeman's already a badass. She yes. ends up, you know, due to her circumstance, now having to become badass, and apparently does very well. It's a series that 
I wanted to watch a little bit more of for this, but at the time, what we could access was not very good. So yes. I'm yeah, I'm very interested yeah. in going forward. I'm in the process of trying to find good copies of this so I can actually finish it because I I I feel really stupid having not watched this up to this point. Right, me too. But uh, let's move on to Gogo Thirteen, the Professional. Now Gogo Thirteen. <laughs> You know, my first, my first, the first time I ever saw Gogo 13 was the NES game. Same I here. saw that, and I'm yeah, like, who's this guy? Here's this game you called, know? like, Gogo, and yeah, this game called no Gogo idea. 13, what, uh, Top Secret Mission, I think it was. Top, it, it actually was called Top Secret Mission, Gogo 13. Yeah. So, yeah, because I don't think it was called Gogo 13. It, it, that's, it was just flipped around. But yeah, I was like, what is this? I, I was attracted to it because I like the anime look of him. He had that classic anime style on, on the cover. But, uh, you know, again, it was another, it was the same instance when I saw the game and it was just, you know, uh, a crime guy in the game. Yeah, it's like, it's like a first person, it was like a first (laughs) person assassination simulation where you're, I I don't, I don't know tons about it. I remember the game and it also has a sequel like the Moffat Conspiracy. I remember the name because they always use Google 13. I just like, I don't know what this is, but that, again, you sit there and look at the time, it's like, that looks pretty cool. I've never had a chance to play because no one I knew who had a NES had that game, so I could only only knew it from screenshots and stuff. Yeah, it, it and it had some like side-scrolling stuff or whatever. Yeah. It, it just was pretty bad. It wasn't well. Very to be cool. fair, it's like there's a lot of amazing. We remember all the best NES games, and we kind of bury all things like yeah. <laughs> like Coco Thirteen. We kind of forget that they actually happened, or Ghostbusters and stuff like that. But now, <laughs> yeah. The Professional uh, is based off the manga, which is uh, Gogo 13, written and illustrated by uh, Takao Saito, which started in 1968 and is still in production. It's still, it's still going. going. Yes, it is the longest. It is the longest running manga publication. Which is in that is it's crazy. It's insane. I had no idea. I, yeah, I didn't even realize. I knew it was. I knew it ran for a while, and I, ironically, I was thinking about this as I was as I was watching go as watching the movie, thinking, you know, we probably should have brought this up when I was doing the the James Bond cast uh, show. Yeah, you just yeah, you just literally took the thoughts out of my mind. That he is the James Bond of Japan. Yeah, and I mean, it, granted, Bond's a spy. This uh, Duke Togo is an assassin. Assassin, but, but still. You know, it's still Bond's Bond's a, a legal <laughs> yeah, assassin. Yeah. But, <laughs> but there's, it's there's very no much, yeah. This, over this film, he goes to exotic locations. He has sex with random people, random women, anyway, and more yes, boobs, and uh, <laughs> and engages in some of these most, you know, some of these interesting uh, set pieces. It's yeah. It it basically really made me think of a Bond film. But there was one of these movies uh, that there's three live action movies. I'm sorry, not sorry, two live action movies and and this one. One of these movies, and I have to see it now. It stars Sonny Chiba. I have to see really? this. That just I only I've only seen like the the poster for it, and Sonny Chiba looks exactly like Google Thirteen, like dead on. Oh. I am. I don't care if the movie is total garbage fire, uh, <laughs> bad. I have to see this now. And now, that those were in the 70s. Uh, what we saw came out in 83. Now, this has the distinction also of being one of the first animated films to feature CGI. And yes, yes, it did. Do you think yep. it was worth it? 
because I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it really took me out of this, out of it. Uh, as to this day, I I don't care how awesome it looks, and you know, one of the best looking CGI incorporated into anime uh, was Ghost in the Shell Two. Um, you know, I really liked the way that it looked, but when anime and CGI just don't flow. It just doesn't work for me. It just it takes me out. I'm like, oh, I'm watching a CG scene that's not really in there. It, it just doesn't work for me, no matter how cool it looks. Unless, you know, it's it's a full on. You know, like if the characters are done in CGI as well, you know, or, or like a cell shading kind of thing, and you mix the two together, that's different. But yeah, so the, I guess I can now say I saw the very first time that it was put into an anime, and I don't like it anymore. Yeah, and I said, I, I'm pretty sure that's, again, with animation in general, too, because, again, you're talking 83, I don't think, I know that they definitely weren't using computers to uh, paint, like, with Disney. That was, like, close to, like, 88, 89, somewhere around there, because, like, I, I want to say it was A Little Mermaid that was the first one where they were using computers to uh, digitally paint stuff. I could be wrong, my facts are to- might totally be off on that. But it's something. It's something to that. Effect. I think. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. Now let's let's be fair. Mm-hmm. The uh, the CG in here is basically relegated to one main scene where helicopters are flying down a uh, flying down like New York and going to this building, and then there's like a CG helicopter in the background at one point. I think that might be it, or the helicopters fire missiles too. Might be a shot of that. But it's. Yeah, it's, it's they're just flying around the the tower, yeah, it, and getting ready to take out. It's you have this beautiful, you know, noir-ish styled, you know, animation, and then it's intercut with Amiga graphics, and it it it's a it is a brick wall that you kind of run into in this film. Since this is this is a manga or based off a of manga, is it just me? Because I I have two minds of this film. There's a lot of stuff that I respect about this movie. But it also comes off like it is essentially three or four episodes of Google 13, the TV show, which didn't exist at that time. But like a Google 13 TV show spliced together into a movie because it's like he he goes on. Yeah, it, it's, yeah he has it's like a best. mission here, a mission here, a mission here. And there's a loose thread that kind of ties it together until you get to the end. But the stuff that happens at the beginning, you know, and he goes to Sicily and has, you know, has this adventure. And then you have the the thing in uh, San Francisco, and that's a completely separate adventure. And it, it just it never feels like it fully coalesces into a into a full film. It, it doesn't. It's it definitely doesn't flow like Crying Freeman did. You know, Crying Freeman. I think out of the two, if, you know, if we had to pick which one I like the best, I I liked Crying Freeman more. Gogo Thirteen has a has a charm to it, but it definitely it's not as as well done. I'll say it's the best thing in it was that opening bit where he's putting together his rifle and the way they're using light and shadows because you're basically are having what amounts to light reflections off of bits and pieces of his of his rifle as he's as he's putting it together and I think it's the one of the most absolute beautiful things I've ever seen in animation. The attention to detail in that is amazing. It's just, you know, it's it's midnight and I'm watching this thing and I'm about to clap and wake up my fiance because <laughs> I think it just looks so damn good. <laughs> yeah, just when like when he shows the little screwing in, it is. That's the little stuff. 
that is the stuff that I, I want to say a lot of that kind of stuff is missing in anime today. It's almost like they don't take the time to do those little tiny things. And if you do, it's it's rare. And I, and I could be totally wrong. Again, I don't watch a ton of anime, so I could be wrong. So call me out, you know, if if you need to. But there's a lot of things like that that happen in old school anime that just that's the charm of it. You know what I mean? It's that was so good. I love that opening scene. And he just starts the plane, and I'm out. Yeah, because well, it's also that that scene doesn't really pay off in any way other than we see him kill a dude, and then they tell us that Gogo Thirteen is is basically mysterious because he has we don't know where he's from. He's just yep. nothing. Everything about him is unknown. You know, you could have just even though I love that bit, they could have just started with the assassination on the boat that kicks everything into gear, and, you know, we wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't have missed anything, really. Right. Everything unknown, unknown, unknown. Yeah. Although, and this is, I, I did find this hilarious also, at the end of it, because you have, basically, over the course of this, our hero has to fight super soldiers. Well, one, technically only one super soldier and two psychotic assassins. And... Is it just me, or does it really seem to matter, no matter where you're from in this world, as long as you have a mask on, you're a fucking ninja? Because <laughs> gold and yes. silver, at the end of it, are goddamn ninjas. It, does, it doesn't matter that they're that they were just, uh, I guess, American assassins who just went crazy one day because of a Battle Royale, uh, Lord of the Flies-type test. You know, never mind that stuff. They have masks, so they're, they're fucking ninjas. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, that's God, a cool yeah. fight, though. It's the, the, the fight with Snake was kind of lame, though. That was Because yeah. they build him up. Yeah. He's this, you know, this weird, creepy assassin. He's genetically altered. He has, like, snake eyes and stuff like that. He... I guess the less, less to really say about him, the better. But he's built up to be this really, really formidable foe. And then he kind of goes out like a chump. Like, yeah. I... I was not happy with that, but you had a much better fight with Gold and Silver, where, again, we talk about a killable assassins. The one dude gets, like, his head beat down and shot up, and then all of a sudden he's alive again. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because, and I was right. Yeah, because I was talking about the second guy. He gets, gets the grenade in the mouth, and his head blows up. Except, not really blows up. It just seems like it pops off his off his noggin. You know, it's, there's an explosion, but we see his head fall. So it's like, what, the grenade went into his throat? Is that how grenades work? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure that everything would have kind of went somewhere. You know, that that is something that, you know, we've just briefly touched on. The violence in both of these shows, and I'm almost toying with, like, which one was worse. I, maybe Golgo 13 was a little well, bit more Well, Golgo 13 was longer, but, so I guess by default it'd be <laughs> it'd be more, more graphic. It, it just, I mean, the things that kind of happened in it, you know, uh, like at the end... This guy's head smashing in the ground. Things like that. I think maybe it was a little bit more graphic. But crying Freeman, all, crying Freeman. Just the opening scene. Not just the fact that you're, you know, you're hearing the girl tell the story, and you're like, wow, okay, what's going on here? The fact that as it as he's getting his first target, and he takes out the bodyguards. Every shot is in slow motion, and they just sit on it for a few seconds as these guys are basically dying, and it's like, wow, you know. I hadn't really seen any kind of sh shots like that ever in an anime before, so seeing it for the first time was pretty, pretty compelling. I was like, "Wow!" I mean, just it was different. It was artistic, 
I don't know. It wasn't. I don't know. Is it different? There's a you can be violent and just be gross, or you can be a little artistic with the violence. And really, what it did is, it's almost as if you're seeing it through his eyes. Like every time he kills someone, he's just dwelling on that yeah, the, moment. The world you know kind of I mean? yeah, everything kind of slows down. It yeah. freezes. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's what you know when you find out why he is the way he is. It just made those scenes that much more satisfying. With the Google 13 stuff, it's, yeah, I mean, a lot of bullets through the head and stuff like that. Uh, oh, come on. And, like, especially that one where he shoots through a building that <laughs> and still manages to hit his target dead on. I mean, but it's usually a lot of it's really quick. It's more like the stuff with Snake uh, that kind of ends up being slow and drawn out and, you know, get a little ease. A lot of unnecessary. Basically what all this kind of starts with is this assassination in the beginning of the movie where an oil baron's son gets killed and the oil baron basically right. vows to ruin Gogo 13's entire existence and does this entire campaign of fucking with this guy which is the, the through line for this is every right. time he's doing a mission all of a sudden people show up and try to like kill him yep. the, the horrible thing is uh, Snake takes an interest in this guy's son's now widow and ends up essentially raping her. And there's that scene in the shower yes. where she's just kind of dead inside. And he's kind of all on her and stuff. And it just, you get creeped out by it. But I still yep. wonder, though, you get to the end of the film and she encounters him and she's now a hooker. And I just kind of think, really? What, <laughs> what the fuck kind of prenup did they have? Because she's got nothing? She has a kid with this dude. You know, she had a kid with this dude, uh, so she got nothing out of a will. I. It seemed like they had a decent enough marriage. I mean, the guy didn't seem to be a bad person at the end of the day. It's just his father yeah. is a complete and total prick. And, you know, it just she really got nothing. She now has to turn tricks to make a living. But then that also feels like that's also 80s. That's uh, kind of 80s moralizing anyway, because you got you had this entire era of the if a woman is now violated she can no longer be a pure you know the madonna mary complex and shit like that where she's 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 now unpure right. impure so she must be a whore at the end i invite every feminist to watch yeah it, it's yeah it is definitely <laughs> not uh it yeah it's not pc by yeah the there's standard. i i never i i hate going with anything that could be problematic and both of these are definitely quote unquote problematic if you look at them in many ways mm -hmm. but Gogo 13 definitely has issues especially like even after one of those uh that that one kill Gogo 13's with I guess with a hooker and it's not so much that he's having sex it's more if she's having sex on him He's just kind of... He's just there. He's like yeah, a stone. Uh, there's, there's later on where he's talking to one of his... Uh, that, that woman, uh, what, Rita, I think it was? His The contact that he was... Uh, who hooks him up in San Francisco. And yeah, and she's, you know, she wants to be with him as well. Again, we're, when we talk about like the, the James Bond sort of things where Bond goes and beds many women, he does the same thing, but it never seems... It never, like... Bond seems to at least have fun. Duke Togo just kind of seems to do things. <laughs> yes, People want there. him, but, but he doesn't no. seem to... He's like dead inside. When we, we talked about Bond kind of being a sociopath, Duke Togo's a goddamn sociopath. Yeah, no, he's the epitome of that. He's got nothing. It, it's He's that classic, uh, too cool to do anything. He, he has zero emotion at all. It's definitely worth watching, 
just yeah there's i don't know now i had broached the topic because they had uh queen bee which is a more recent oav of google 13 you said you had watched it i used to own it um years ago and and i'm talking like in the late 90s because i want to say it came out in 98 so it, it was a more definitely more recent than than the professional by by quite some time um but it but it's basically the same uh, as you know from what i can remember of it it's just it's Golgo 13 but uh, the animation is more refined i want to say madhouse made this movie um, which you know them from like you know ninja scroll uh, they, they've done a ton of stuff you just they have that certain art style um, I want to say it was them that did it. It may not be, but it, the animation was uh, more modern than what the original was. Didn't have that kind of classic look to it, but it had a touch of it, but not not much. But yeah, because that I wanted to try and watch that, but again, circumstances involved me eventually only coming across a complete version of it, which was in Japanese and had Spanish subtitles. <laughs> So, I took Japanese in college. I can understand some. I am not great at it. Could I could I have watched it and in, at least inferred what happened through context clues? Probably. But, yeah, I still would have wanted at least an English subtitle to that, so... It's basically, she, the, the Queen Bee is, she's basically head of a mafia people or something. I, I don't remember. I just remember she is the target of Golgo 13. And he's trying to kill her, and he just can't. It's like the one target he just can't kill. And and I think because of that, obviously, being what it is, uh, you know, they, they start to fall in love and all this stuff. And it's, it's almost like she's his equal. And through the whole movie, what's funny is that it's kind of the opposite of the professional, whereas she is worshipped by all men, and she basically controls them, and the men are slaves to her. You know what I mean? So she's very much a dominant force in this entire movie. And the, the name, you know, bears meaning. Which would make sense, as I said, the name would definitely work with that. Whereas, yeah, in this in this film, basically women are just kind of there. Again, the, the, the woman right. in San Francisco does have agency of her own. But, yeah, the, the, the widow, not so much. Well, hell, actually, even technically, even in Sicily, the uh, the lady there had had a lot of agency because she basically was the crime boss all along. Surprise! Yeah. But yeah, between the two, I would. Oh, and, and Queen Bee has lots of sex. Oh. <laughs> lots and lots. Of I would sex. hope so. I think it has more than. Oh lord, because definitely because that's that's like what an hour long, whereas this uh, is an hour and a half. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should have it's watched a crazy it. Easy show. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that unless you got anything else that you could think of for uh, for these ones. No, the only thing I can say is definitely watch them. They're great classics. Uh, definitely uh, um, shows of their time. You know, it, it was a different era back then, and it, it's kind of nice to to go back and see where where we were as a society back then and what was cool and what was not cool, but. I think I think watching them it's it's important to watch them and just you know enjoy them for what they were you know that it's they're great action movies yeah. let's just put it that way yeah fan, basically fans of action especially the uh, for crying Freeman that hands down is one of is one of my favorite things that I've seen in like the last uh, last couple of years 
I really, really yep. enjoyed that. I, I did too. Uh, Crying Freeman has stuck with me a lot. Uh, Gogo 13 is just kind of like, oh, that's that's a cool uh, action movie thing. It, it's there um, for style. If you want to see some cool style, check that one out. Right. Uh, from what I can remember, Queen Bee is a much better movie. I, I remember liking it a lot more. So it, it's it's and it's a, a lot more uh, militarized. So there's a lot of military action going on versus just just in the city versus mobsters and gangsters. So it's a different it's a different feel movie than the original Golgo 13. But uh, it's it's good stuff nonetheless. But yeah, definitely watch him. Crying Freeman, overall the better of the two movies, and I highly recommend that. And I can't wait to watch more. Right on, man. And more we shall see. But for now, check us out on RetroRocketEntertainment.com. I'm on Twitter under Musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Johnny, you are? I am Johnny underscore Funami on Twitter. Give us a like, hit us up, see if there's anything you want to talk about, let us know. And uh, we'll be back next month. Everyone, have a good one. Adios. (laughs) 